Thank you so very much for joining us in this brand new series that I'm calling Illusions. Listen, over the last weeks, I've been taking some time to review some of the messages that I've taught over the last, I don't know, decade plus. And I realize in that review process that there are some, uh, some of those messages have a real fresh word for some of the challenges that we're facing in contemporary times uh, as we seek to be faithful Jesus followers. So I'm going to revisit some of those messages, beginning even with this series. So here's the insight, the big ideal that I want you to walk away from uh, when we finish this message today. It's simply found in these words. I'm not powerless. Go ahead, shout it out loud. I'm not powerless. Type it in the chat. I'm not powerless. All right, let's read our scripture together. Genesis 2.8, and then we're going to work through this dimension of the creation story uh, uh, as we work through the chapter 2 of Genesis moving forward. But here's where we want to start. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. There's the reading. As we work through the series, I want to suggest to you that there are some illusions. Can somebody shout illusions? Yes, illusions that if we do not uh, expose in our lives, they will destabilize our homes and our families. They will literally damage our souls and disempower us as individuals and collective communities when it comes to taking the steps we need to take to be the people that God has called us to be. Illusions. Now, here's my definition of the word illusions. It's not just my definition. It's the technical definition, really. It's defined as a false, misleading impression of reality. One of my favorite uh, family games that we now have, we've purchased these uh, virtual reality binoculars. And if you put these things on, the, the, the outfit thing on, uh, all of a sudden you find, your, you find yourself in a... Um, in a, in a virtual world. It's a false world, but it looks and feels so real, guys. I'm telling you, it's so real. Now, we got into this because my sister-in-law and brother-in-law came over for dinner one time, and they brought theirs. Uh, their VR set, I think is what it's called. And there's this particular uh, game they have that my sister said, I want you to play, you know, I'm in my living room. Actually, we did it on my back porch, actually. So I'm on my, my back porch, and she draws a virtual parameter and I'm on my porch and she put the thing on and suddenly I'm, on, I'm, I'm standing out on the balcony on a high skyscraper. I'm looking across a beautiful city and, 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 and there's a plank there. And she said, just walk the plank and step off the end. Go ahead, brother-in-law. She said, you can do it. I said, look, I'm on my porch, y'all. I'm on my porch. I'm back on my porch. So I said, take step one, step two. I'm at the end of the plank. But I can feel the wind blowing, guys. I see the birds flying around. I mean, I see the cars way, way, way down there on the streets. He said, just go in and step. Just go in and step off. And I, and I got ready to try to step. And I said, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I'm standing on my porch, y'all. I'm not on a skyscraper. <laughs> uh, that is a challenge that so many of us face, right? We are captured. I want to argue by some illusions uh, that we find ourselves in, uh, in uh, an artificial mindset, an artificial world, if you will, created by our mindset. And God is saying, I, I want you to take a significant step forward with your life 
And we're saying, we can't do it. I can't do it. God is saying, it's time for you to get out of that toxic relationship. But you're saying, oh, oh no, if I do, I'll suffocate. God is saying, I need you to go for that big promotion on your job. But you're saying, you know what, one more failure will just totally shatter me. I can't, I can't, I can't. Illusions, illusions. Here's the illusion I want to contend with today in this series. Here's how it often surfaces uh, in, in our kind of everyday talk. It looks like this. If my life was better, I would be a better person. Or you might say it like this. If my life was better, I would do better. I would do better. Let me give you some examples how that shows up in our lives. You know, there's a person probably listening to me. You you've probably have said this before. You know, man, if I, if, if, if I could just afford that beautiful house, my dream house in that fantastic gated community, wow, I'd keep the house clean. I'd keep the maintenance just right. <laughs> But, you know, given where I live and, and the community that I live in, you know, I'm doing the best I can. You know, the illusion that I want to just capture with one word is this notion, I'm powerless. Can't you say that? I'm powerless. That's what we often say as we, as we approach life. I'm powerless. Type that in the text. I'm powerless. Yeah. I, I can't do any better. Because the conditions of my life restrains me. I'm just powerless. You know, the person who says, you know what? If I made a whole lot more money and had a, a whole lot less bills, I, I'd be a better steward. I'd save more and spend less. But, you know, I'm just, you know, this is all I got. I'm just powerless. You know, the person who says, uh, you know what? Uh, if I had a better partner, a better spouse, I'd be a better person in the relationship. But since I got the one that I got, I'm just doing the best that I can. You know, yeah, I'm sure you've heard some of these examples. You know, if, if she was just a little bit more cute, if he would make a whole lot more money on his job, if she was a little bit more nice, if he was a bit more sensitive, if she would just lose a little bit more weight, if, if he looked a whole lot more like Thor in the movie Love and Thunder, come on now, that, that I'd be more excited about coming home. You see the point? But because I've got who I have, I'm just doing the best that I can. I'm powerless. Powerless. Now, as we work through this dimension of the creation story uh, in chapter 2, the biblical insight here totally shatters that, that virtual reality world, totally destroys that, that false impression of reality so that we can no longer, uh, so that we'll just stop saying stuff like, if, if I had a better life, I'd be a better person. Let's work through the text. For those of you who would argue, if I had a better home, then I would do better. Well, notice Adam. Uh, Adam and later will be joined by Eve. He ultimately gets to have the best home ever. Look at verse 8, what it says. It says, then the Lord God planted, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Shout Eden. Type it in the chat, Eden. That word really is translated delight. The garden, the place where Adam would ultimately live, later joined by Eve, was in a place of delight. 
in the east. And there God placed the man who he had made. And the Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from there. The text goes on to say, and, and these trees were beautiful and they produced delicious fruit. Essentially, everywhere uh, Adam and ultimately Eve would look, they would see nothing but aesthetic beauty. Just, just the environment was shaped. Uh, everything they would taste would be extraordinary to the palate. Oh, they had the best home that anyone could ask. And then they lived in the best neighborhood, according to verses 10 through 14. Uh, notice how 10 starts off. It says, and a river flowed from the land of Eden, the land of delight, watering the garden, and it divided into four branches. The first branch, or the first river flowing off of that, was simply called Pishon, probably its modern-day uh, Indus River. And it flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold was found. Come on now. The second uh, river was called Gion. It's probably what we now refer to as the modern-day Nile River. And it flowed around the entire land of Cush, which is the ancient word for the, for, the, for, the word, for the country Ethiopia, right there on the African continent, describing, describing Adam's and ultimately Eve's neighborhood. The third river that flowed, the third branch, was the Tigris, and it flowed east of the land of Ashur. And the fourth branch is simply called Euphrates, uh, it was the fourth branch. Now, we're familiar with the Tigris Euphrates. It framed what, what historians often refer to as the Mesopotamia area of the world, uh, fertile and rich, and now occupied. Ashur is now essentially that area that's occupied by what we call Iraq and Iran and Israel and Lebanon and Syria, etc., etc. And what the biblical text is describing is Adam's neighborhood. It's saying that, that all the major waterways Come on, intersected at, at the place of the light where Adam lived, that he lived in the most choice part of the then known world. He had the best neighborhood. And then he had the best wealth, guys. Look, remember verse 12 says this, as it talks about the land of Havilah. It says that the gold was in that land was exceptional. Can somebody shout exceptional? In other words, man, Adam and later Eve, they would have all the bling bling they could handle. Best wealth. And then they had the best job, guys. Listen at verse 15 as it says, And the Lord God placed the man God uh, the placed the man in the garden of Eve, Eden, to tend and watch over it. And then later in verse uh, nineteen, it says that while God formed the animals and the birds, He brought them to the man to allow him to name and categorize them. The unique role that humanity plays. Fascinating. Now. We find that Adam and Eve ultimately would have the best job running the stewardship ultimately of the earth. And then they had the best spouse, guys. I love this. Look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said simply this. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper. Now, if you read this in the NIV version, it says, I will make a suitable helper or helpmate. 
helper, helpmates, translated better, partner. And the word suitable, uh, the Hebrew beneath that word, the literal Hebrew is actually captured here in the New Living Translation when it says, I'll make a helper who is just right, suitable, better translated, just right for him. Can you imagine having a partner, having a spouse made by the hand of God just right for you? Now, I can imagine that because that's Rhonda, y'all. <laughs> she was made by the hand of God just right for me. I can get that. I can imagine that. Wow. God made Eve. He, he, uh, I, 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 I like what the text goes on to say. It says, verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman he didn't take a part of Adam's head and make the woman because the, 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 the intent here is not for her to dominate him. He didn't go to Adam's foot and make the woman because the intent here is not for him to dominate her. But he goes to his side and pulls a rib. And, and that is to suggest that when, 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 when the two were introduced to each other, they were inside of a relation, an equitable relationship of mutual accountability and mutual trust and mutual love. Yeah. I can imagine that day when, when Adam brought Eve to this, the one that was just right. I can imagine him saying, wow, praise God, right? I can imagine Eve when she sees, when she sees Adam, she's going, oh, my goodness, hallelujah. I can just see it. Just right. Come on, guys. They were just right in terms of their vision and values that they shared. They were just right in terms of tone and temperament. They were just right. Now, do you see how Genesis 2 sets and frames uh, of the story of creation in such a way that it literally shatters the false world that we find ourselves living in when we say statements like, if my life was better, I would be better. I'd be a better person. Because in this context, here's what we're learning. Adam and Eve, ultimately, they lived in the best home, in the best neighborhood, with the best wealth, with the best job, with the best partner, spouse anyone could have. And with all of that in the best environment possible, they still ultimately made poor decisions. Totally crashing multiple generations after them into horrendous misery and challenge, even though they had the best life. So some of you are waiting for God to change your external world before you allow him to change you. But every now and then God chooses not to change the external. He's using that, come on now, as he works on changing you. You can become the next best version of you in your current context. Stop waiting for it to change. Illusion shattered. Then here comes some really, really good news. At, at first glance, glance, it doesn't necessarily sound like good news, but, but it's powerful and wonderful news. You know, if you're reading in verse 9, and I hope to return to it before the end of this series, the word says that God created two particular trees in this garden. One was called the tree of life. The other one was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then here's the instruction that ultimately Adam and Eve will ultimately have when it comes to this notion of the tree of 
of knowledge of good and evil. And oftentimes when we talk about this, it comes to us really kind of as bad news. It's, it's, it's only bad news in terms of how Adam and Eve responded, but hidden here is some incredible good news for all of us if we just listen. Here, let's hear the context, the, the, the conversation that takes place. Here's what God says. He says, but the text says, but the Lord God warned Adam and ultimately later Eve. You may freely eat the fruit of Every tree in the garden, tons, countless, all the different types, thousands upon thousands. You, you, full access to them, right? All the trees, every tree in the garden, except, shout except, type that in the chat, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to introduce death into life die. Of course, they made the wrong choice. All right. Here's the good news that's embedded there. By introducing this tree, God introduces what I want to call the hidden superpower of choice. Wow. Somebody shout choice. Type it in the chat. Choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to suggest to you that, 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 that more powerful than Wonder Woman's lasso, more, 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 more powerful than Thor's hammer is this incredible gift of choice that you and I have, regardless of the limited circumstances we may find ourselves living within. Now, Two things happen the moment God introduces this hidden power of choice into the scenario. Two things happen. The first thing happens is that God sets the context for his relationship with Adam and Eve to move from artificiality to authenticity. You see, prior to this choice, everything set up in terms of their relationship with God was artificial. Because of the massive power imbalance. God was the creator. He created them. He created the garden, everything they were sitting in. He created everything around them. He held all of the power. So, so of course, it was, you know, it was expected of them to say, we love you, we trust you, and so forth and so on. But that's just artificial because of the power imbalance. So what God was after was genuine, authentic relationship. And so by introducing this incredible power called choice, he, he sets the groundwork and moves them, arranges to move them from an artificial relationship to an authentic relationship. Because the moment they became able to say, I can choose to trust you or not, you know, I, I, I can choose to love you or not, he put the power in their hands. Now the relationship is authentic. Wow. The second thing he puts in their hands is the power to create good and evil. You see, that, that, that is uniquely tied to this notion of choosing to love and, and be faithful to a God who has already chosen to love and be faithful to you, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring and, 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 and who you get to choose to trust even as you're working through things that you don't understand or you can choose not to trust. And ultimately, the, the insight of the passage is that if we choose not to trust, come on now, the God whose every motion towards us has been nothing but love, that's what the 
the story of the garden and Eden, the place of delight is. Everything he's done for them has been nothing but an expression of love. Come on now. But, but in the midst of where we are limited in our understanding, we may opt. We have the power to say, I don't want to trust you. When we do, we step off on our own. We have the power to create good if we decide to do life with God or evil if we decide to do life without God. Did you catch it? Now, say with God. I backed a little bit into last week's message. With God, if we decide to do. Okay, here's the insight. Lean in a little bit more. Lean a little bit more. Here's, here's what he's teaching. Adam and Eve. He's teaching this to, to that college student, that high school student. Come on now. That middle school that's listening. He's teaching this to the governmental officials that's listening. He, he, he said, listen here. You can be surrounded by good, but you hold within your hand the power to create evil in the middle of the good. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But watch this. You can be surrounded by evil. I'm talking to those kids that's going away, getting ready to go away to college. Come on now. And you're going to find yourself Saturday night surrounded by evil. You can be surrounded by evil. I'm talking to that young lady who, who, who joined the Air Force. Come on now. And, and on a weekend excursion, you can be surrounded by evil. I'm talking to Congress people who are trying to figure out how, how to lead us, how to create policy that will impact the violence that we're dealing with and everything within us. Come on now to that college kid, to that, to that uh, Air Force cadet. Come on now to the Congress folk, to those of us watching our TVs. Everything within us says we're surrounded by evil and, and, and we're powerless. But, but, but God declares, I'm giving you the power that surrounded by evil, you can create good through the power of your choices. You can choose differently. You can choose to think differently. You can choose to act differently. Not on your own. Watch this. But with God. That's the scenario of Eden. That God always was intended that life would be done with God. You make the choice to do life with God. It changes everything. All right. Let me hasten as I move towards the conclusion of today's message here. Listen, there are some things for which we have no say in, no choice about. You have no choice about what family you're going to be born in, what part of the world or the country you're going to be born in, whether you're going to be born in poverty or whether you're going to be born in a wealthy context. And yet, I love this saying. Someone says, you can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you respond to what happens to you. Some of us was raised in broken homes where the power dynamic was of such that we found ourselves in a situation and we couldn't do anything about it. We were abused. And yet the insight here is, while we can't control what happens to us always, we can always choose how we respond to it. You have the superpower of choice. A few weekends ago, I had the opportunity, glorious opportunity to speak at Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz. And they had kind of set this up as a kind of a one-two speaking punch in, their, in, in, in how they framed it. Uh, just before, the, the, the night before I spoke, uh, or the weekend before I spoke, uh, Bethany Hamilton spoke to that congregation. 
And I'm sure you know a little bit about her story. She was an up-and-coming uh, surfer, headed towards winning uh, championships as a teenager. One afternoon, she was out with her buddies. They were just lying uh, out in the ocean on their surfboards, and a shark came up and grabbed and literally snatched her entire arm up to the shoulder off. She lost tons of blood, almost died. Everybody assumed that her future was over, but Bethany lived a with God life. She somehow began to conclude that the scripture that declared that I can do all things through Christ, including, come on, becoming a surfboard champion with one arm, that 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 embodied the truth, and she refused, she resisted, come on, that artificial reality that said, if I had a better life, I could do better things. No, 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 no. She thought that with God, with one arm, she could still achieve her lifetime dream. And if you know anything about her life story, that's exactly what happens. She defies the art, becomes a surfing champion, ultimately gets married. Now she's a spouse and a, and a, and a mom and a best-selling author. And she's living an amazing life with God, with one arm. You cannot choose or control what happens to you, but you have the remarkable power from God to choose how you respond to it. And with God, you can define the odds even within limited circumstances you can you can you can come on those of you watching from San Jose sitting just tell the person next to you you can you can you can you're not powerless you know you may not be uh, the most gifted athlete or the most gifted uh, when it comes to uh, learning capacity, the intellectually gifted in your classroom. Maybe there's some folk who are smarter than you, who are more gifted than you, but you can choose to outwork everybody else. You know, when I was a kid uh, coming through school, I, I remember sitting in class with students who were just so uniquely intellectually gifted that they could study for 30 minutes and come back and they could make an A on the test almost this long time. I had to study five hours for the same test. So I didn't have the same intellectual gift they had, but I could choose to outwork them. And at the end of the day, I knew this was true, that when, when the college and the, and the career people looked at my transcript and they saw the A's on my transcript, they weren't asking how long did it take you to study to get this A. All they wanted was the A. Wow. You know, I, if you watch the NBA Finals, you know there's a lot of chatter going on about Seth Curry, for example. And about how he's changed the game. Is he going to become MVP player? And what's his place in the all-time uh, standing of great players, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that just keeps coming up is what's remarkable is not just his three-point sh shooting, for example. But what's remarkable is that Steph Curry is, uh, I think, is 6'2". The average height of an NBA player is 6'7". Magic Johnson, who he's often refer, uh, compared to, is 6'9", guys, 6'9". And so when people think about what Steph Curry has done to the game, they say, wow, he's not as tall as the average player. He doesn't have the bulk and the weight and the strength like a Shaq who became an exceptional player. He, 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 he does not have the athletic ability like a Michael Jordan who's in the top ten. 
But what Steph Curry, who decided to do life with God, y'all ain't listening, concluded is that while I don't have all of that, I'm just going to take the little gift that God has given me within the extraordinary limitations that I have, and I'm going to decide to outwork everybody in the gym, day in and day out and day in and day out. Nobody can outwork me, and if I do my part and let God do what God does come on now in a with God life I can change the game I don't go to the game I'll bring the game to me you see how the power of choice is good news for those who would dare live a with God life I don't know where you've heard this name before uh, his name is Fraser Robinson III you know, I think about people who go to work every day and you feel like, I got a lousy job. You may have a lousy job. You may be stuck on that job because you have limitations when it comes to your educational credentials or you're limited in terms of the skills that you have learned. You, you, you may be stuck on a lousy job. But just because you're stuck on a lousy job, you, you still have, you, you have not lost the power of choice. You can choose that on a lousy job, I'm going to be a great worker. Fraser Robinson III worked uh, in the city water plant for decades. In addition to working in a very tough job, what many would call a lousy job for decades, he also suffered with MS, had various physical challenges along the way. And yet, he decided that he was going to be an exceptional worker on what many would call a lousy job. His daughter would talk about it. She seemed rise consistently early every morning to get to the job before anybody else got there. And he wouldn't leave the job until his, not just till his shift was over, but until his assignment was done and done extremely well. And, and, and because of his decision, come on now, to be an exceptional worker on a lousy job with God, God blessed him to raise up a little girl who would ultimately go to Princeton and ultimately marry a fellow by the name of Barack and ultimately become the first African-American first lady of the United States of America. Thank God for the power of choice. Activated with God, you can begin to see the improbable become your reality. Oh, my goodness. I'm finished now. Let me just conclude here. You know, you can, you, I, I've watched folk come out of the tough streets of Detroit and end up running Fortune 500 companies. I've seen, uh, and we've all together seen folk come out of the, the, the violent community of Compton and transform the image of tennis. Uh, I, I know folk who grew up without a dad, and yet they became some of the best dads uh, that anybody could have. Uh, uh, if you ever pay attention to the super to the superhero shows, you know, uh, what, when they get to the, the, to the uh, great accomplishment of the movie, the, 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 the pinnacle of the movie, they don't get there. It's not easy. They have to work hard. They have to fight hard. There's all kinds of battles. They win and they lose. I, just because I say you've got a superpower, come on, call choice. I'm not suggesting that with God, life is easy. It's just going to be handed to you. No, no, no. You, you, there will be along the way 
You'll have to cry some tears. You'll have to demonstrate uh, 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 amazing tenacity. You're going to have to work through some valleys. There'll be long hours and countless months, and some cases, many, many years. There'll be some hospital trips along the way. Come on now. Some courthouse stop, stopping by some courthouse moments. But I'm saying to you, it remains true that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He has made you to be more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. It's the superpower of choice if you keep choosing, if you keep choosing for it. With God, all things are possible, not overnight. But over time, let's say this with me. With God, I'm not powerless. Say it again. With God, I'm not powerless. Let that shatter the virtual false impressions of reality that's been holding us back. God willing, we'll see you next week.